You're calling us to the cross, calling us by name. Whoa. Um, have you ever been pressed into on that calling? I mean, you. Um, I'm talking about someone lovingly yet boldly pressing into you about your decision to follow Christ. And I'm not talking about the person who has yet to make that decision. I'm talking about the people that have proclaimed to have made that decision. Buckle up. It's happening today. It's happening today because that's what Joshua does in Joshua 24. Uh, Please open your Bibles, turn to Joshua 24. This is an amazing passage. Because Joshua presses into God's people in this passage. And he presses into God's people about their commitment. I choose Jesus. Are you sure about that? Really? Are you sure about that? Do you know what you have chosen to do? This is heavy stuff. Awesome. Awesome stuff, and I'm so glad you're here today. Hey, you there? Joshua 24, Bible's open, on your lap, ready to go. Let's read verse 1 together. Verse 1. You follow along in your Bible as I read in mine. Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. We've been to Shechem before, Joshua 8, and, and he summoned the elders, the leaders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Uh, Shechem, it's a place, as I noted, we've been there before in chapter 8. It's it's an amazing, perfect spot for a final farewell address by a very old warrior for God. Uh, This is an amazing spot. I mean, Shechem is the place where, where God had promised Abraham that he would give a people a land. That's the place where God promised Abraham that would happen. Uh, in Shechem, that's the place where uh, Jacob built an altar unto the Lord. And Shechem, Joshua chapter 8, it's where all the people had gathered together and they made a commitment to the Lord. I'm telling you, friends, this is an amazing spot to have what's going to have happen here happen. It's, it's a cool place to do that. And look at those last words of verse 1. And they presented themselves before God. God, I pray right now, as a people here in this place, as a people gathered together here, God, I pray right now that we would be presenting ourselves to you. Oh, Lord, that's a vulnerable spot to be. There's no games to be played here in this spot. There's no images to be held up here in this spot. It's just bare naked self before you together. What a cool place to be. You are calling us. Calling us by name. You are a God that seeks relation with his people. We're there in that place, God. Oh, show yourself. More of you, Lord, more of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's pick up 
Let's start. Verse 2. Uh, there they are. Where, what city are they in? What place are they in? Shechem. Uh, it's like a natural amphitheater all around this place. And, and Joshua said to how many of the people? All of them. Okay, lots of people. And he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. In other words, this isn't uh, last time in Joshua 23 where Joshua is saying, hey, there's a choice on the table. Uh, Joshua himself was making this declaration. What we're about to read is understand this is what the Lord says. Joshua's declaring what the Lord says, just not what Joshua says. Uh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Do you see that? They served other gods. Verse 3, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Let's just stop there for a second. Um, Abraham was an all-star of the faith, right? I think we could all agree about that. Uh, But one of the things I just want to pause here is for us to understand that there's a tendency for us to kind of deify all-stars of the faith. In fact, that happens all over around the world where where, where saints are saintized and and kind of deified. And and I just want to remind us that... uh, Abraham didn't have anything special above and beyond what you and I have. The fact is, is that Abraham was an idol worshiper. He was a godless, totally depraved man that had nothing earning his favor before God. Okay, let's just get that on the table. This dude was not special beyond all special dudes of the day. God in his sovereignty grabbed a hold of this guy and pulled him out of idol worship. This is Abraham, just like everybody, is more like a Saul-like experience than we think. Uh, and God pulled Abraham out. Um, he's an all-star, but know this, he's an all-star saved by grace. Along with that, just that's the whole point of it, is God's grace in this. Uh, you can see in verse 3 where Abraham was taken out of the pit of paganism. Uh, in that reality. And just say this, friends, uh, um, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are, you are holding on to God by a thread. And that thread is God's grace. That's it. It's God's grace. All God's grace. And this whole text is going to now just blow that truth on out in front of us here, okay? Because watch as we read this. This whole text is about everything that God did. In other words, it's this. Zero me, all God. Zero me, all God. Let's pick it up, verse 3 again, and let's just uh, delightfully read through this. Then I took, oh, the I is God. Then God took your father Abraham from out of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. By the way, right there in that period of time, that's like 75 years of time. God is not not in a rush. And God is not on your or my timetable. God right there, 75 years in that one little verse right there. Uh, By the way, verses 3 through 5 we're going to read, it's some 430 years of time. And and then uh, uh, we're going to read all the way to the end of uh, uh, verse 13. It's some six to seven centuries of time. 
God promised Abraham a people. It took 430 years for him to come out of Egypt as a people. God promised Abraham a people with a place. It took some six, seven centuries before they had a place. Listen, friends, God is on his own timetable. And we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with being works-oriented people, and we struggle with being on God's timetable. It's all grace. Uh, I gave him Isaac, verse 4, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Sarah to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt when I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he, God, put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And God made the sea come upon them and cover them. And and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites uh, that lived on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, they fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of the hand and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you and also the Amorites and the Girgashites and the Hithites and the Jebusites and all the other ites and and I gave them into your hand. Verse 12, and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword, but by your bow. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. (laughs) This is such a cool text. This is a great reminder text. I mean, over all this period of time of what God had done, uh, and here, look, look specifically in the text. Uh, pull up the next slide here. Uh, can, if you can see the yellow highlights, these are all the verbs. These are essentially the core verbs of, of the passage here. And I have a question for you, and I want for you to be responding back to this. And let's just start right up here in verse 3. Question, who took? Okay, you got it rolling. Here we go. Who led? Who made? Who gave and gave and gave? Who sent? Who plagued? Who did? Who brought and brought? That's right. Who put and did and brought and gave and destroyed? Uh, By the way, who would not listen? Who delivered? Who gave them into? You're getting quieter. Who sent? And who gave a land? God did it all. This is just such a cool passage. And just such a fantastic passage. Zero me, all God. And then you look at verse 13. Why were the Israelites able to dwell on the land that they had not built? Or, 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 or they, why were they able to? Because of God. Why were they able to eat fruit that they did not even plant? Because of God. It's just God. I just ask this. When you look back, when you look back on life, who's the central character of the story? I'm talking in your life. Here's the reality. Let's just be honest. 
It's usually us. I'll put it this way. It's usually me. Not me for you, but you for you. True? I mean, we think back about life and it's just like all what happened on around us. It's about me. It's what I've done. It's what I've accomplished. It's what I've come up through. It's who I am. But friends, the big story is that here's, here's the plot line we bring into the whole big story of it all. We bring into the big story a, a people created by God who bagged God and are totally depraved and are on a high-speed run for hell. That's the fact of the matter. That's the part of the plot that we bring into the whole big story. We are on a high-speed highway to hell, and we are in need of a Savior to redeem us out. Every other religion on the planet says you've got to work your way out. You've got to work your favor out, but not the Bible. The Bible is so unique that the Bible is so honest. It says you and I can't. That only a grace-giving God could allow for you and I to be snatched out of the highway to hell. That's the truth of the matter, and that's what's being put on the table here. And I just say this, friends, we far too often think that you and I are the center of the story. And I'm sorry to say, because I want to be the center of the story in my own life. And so do you. But you are not the center of the story. The whole text points to that. God is. And yet, we get to participate with the hero of the story. He's the hero of the story. That's the reality. He's the one that by grace allows us to enter into relation with him. Pulling us off of that highway. Verse 14. First two words, verse 14, are so important. Now therefore. Now therefore. In other words, what that means is because of the hero that was just talked about. And who's the hero? It sounds like Sunday school class, doesn't it? You're doing great. God's the hero because God is the hero. Guess what? There's something that we're supposed to do in response to the fact of acknowledging that God is the hero. Because God is the hero, we are called to respond. Now, therefore, what's the response? Verse 14, now, therefore, number one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Have a right view of God is what that's talking about. I, I, I talk about it this way. Actually, from the very first Sunday we launched and talking about Job, it's this way. These two things are what the fear of God is in my because I'm a simplistic guy. And it's this way. It's wow. That's the first part of the fear of God. It's like God is so awesome. I mean, God rocks. Just God is amazing. Do you realize who God is, how big he is, how awesome he is? That's God. And it's like, woo! Okay? You with me? Okay. <laughs> wow. That's God. The second part of the fear of God is, oh, my. Oh, my. Face to the ground. He is God. And I am not. He is holy, set apart, perfect. He is the creator. And I'm on a highway to hell. Oh my. He is God. The text says, now therefore fear the Lord. 
What's the next thing it says? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve the Lord. It's this serve the Lord and serving. Serving comes out of a right view of God. In other words, when you have a right view of God, woo! Oh my! Out of that, part of what comes out of having a right view of who God is, is serve him. You mean I have the opportunity to serve him through Christ? Are you kidding me? I get to? Wow! And yet, oh my. And notice in the text, it says, serve the Lord, fear the Lord, serve the Lord. And it says, serve the Lord in sincerity. In other words, don't fake it. The Hebrew word has this idea of honesty. No, seriously. Honestly serve the Lord, not you, not someone else. No, no, no. Serve the Lord with sincerity. I mean, why? Because, wow, and oh my, I get to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord in sincerity. And then God, in essence, through Joshua here is saying, serve in sincerity. And I love this next part, serve in faithfulness. That Hebrew word there carries this idea of permanence. I love this. Continuance. Fear the Lord and serve him sincerely and with continuance. Not because you have to. Not because you're made to. Not because you're guilted into it. No, because you get to. Because people who have a right view of God are like, I want to serve the Lord. Are you kidding me? What else would I want to do? Stuff for me? That's stupid. I get to serve him. And not here and there. And not when it's easy. And not when it's just your thing. Not just when it's your preference. It's not just the thing that you like to do. Well, I don't like kids. I like this. Serve. That, that's the idea of this. I want to serve because I get to serve. Uh, by the way, serve. The word sounds so uh, optional in, in English. It's just like, you know, it's fast food feeling. How may I serve you? Can I have some ketchup? No, uh, oh, by the way, uh, and I was a Boy Scout for a few years, and uh, we won't go into that. But I, I was a Boy Scout, and I remember earning merit badges. And in that, by the way, it was a great experience. And yet in that, I just want to say this serving, that was not merit badgy. Uh, you see, actually, the history of the Hebrew word abode has this idea of in its past slavery. That's kind of the undergirding idea to it. It's not just like fast food uh, merit badge. It, it has this idea of slavery in it. It's not because you get paid for it. No, it, it has the history of you do it because you're under the master. And yet here, it's the idea of, no, a uh, uh, slave unto the Lord with sincerity and with continuance. Like that. Th that's what's supposed to happen. By the way, consider the use of the word abode in Exodus chapter 1. It says the Egyptians ruthlessly made the Hebrews work as abodes. Uh, want some more ketchup? Um, no, that doesn't sound quite right. You know, Pharaoh, I, I, I'm working on my uh, uh, squaring off rocks thing. Can I do that for a little bit? Uh, no, not quite that. It's like, do this. That's the, the gut of it, of what it comes out of in the past. Verse 14, now therefore, 
Oh my, wow, fear the Lord and slave unto him in sincerity and in faithfulness. I just have a question. Does that first part of the verse, does that describe you? In all sincerity. Is that where your eyes are headed? I want to be more of that. I want to be more of a man. I want to be more of a woman. I want to be more of a teen that really increasingly fears the Lord, increasingly slaves unto the Lord with sincerity and continuous. I want more of that. Does that describe you? Hey, listen, God is the hero of the story. And God's people get to be that if they want to be that. Listen, if you call yourself a child of God, that's what you're called to be like. It's heavy stuff. It's like on the table. Flat out reality. Well, let's read for a while. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and slave unto him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and slave unto the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to slave unto the Lord, in other words, the idea of that word is, is if it's displeasing to you, or if it's like, that's a joke. That's just a joke. That's kind of stupid. That's just kind of stupid to slave unto the Lord. Uh, then choose this day whom you will serve. Because do know this, you do serve something. You do slave unto something. It's not a question of uh, uh, should I. It's a question of you are. If you just think back on your life, what are you really going for? And I'll tell you, you are slaving unto something. And he's kind of asking this rhetorically. So go ahead and choose who you will slave unto, whether the gods of your fathers who slaved unto the, in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites and those in the land you dwell. But then Joshua says, but as, it, as for me and my house, we will slave unto the Lord. Drive the stake in the ground, dude. Cool. I love this. Then the people answered. I wonder what they're going to say. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to slave unto other gods. Are you kidding me, Joshua? That is a stupid idea. No, no, no. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. Uh, out of the house of of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and he preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed and the lord drove before us all the peoples the amorites who lived in the land therefore we will also slave unto the lord because he is our god way to go dudes way to go i love that I mean, you just get this idea they're in Shechem in this natural amphitheater around and just a whole pile of people and the leaders. And he's like, who do you want to follow? Because it's me and my house. We're slaving unto the Lord. What do you want? What do you say, team? I mean, like down at the Colts game today. And everybody's like, are you kidding? We're in. <laughs> just beautiful. This is so beautiful. Oh, by the way, a couple of things I want to note out of this uh, on their response to this. I want to note out of this that, uh, that one of the things is, is this is not an emotion-driven, Jesus is my boyfriend decision, okay? This isn't an emotion-driven thing because go back now, emotion goes with everything. I've never made a decision where emotion is not a part of. I'm saying what's leading the, leading the process of it? 
And in here, when you look at this, you see verses 16 uh, through 18. What's happening is the people are saying almost what Joshua had said before. We know what God has done. We know who God is. He's done this and he's done this and he's done this and he's done this. That's truth information. That's facts on the table. None of this, I need a crutch. That's not what's going on here at all. This is a full-in, truth-driven kind of choice. Where it's like, that's God, that's who he is, we choose that. It's based on fact. I have a question that I think needs to be asked in our Christian American culture today. Proclaiming follower of Christ... Was your decision to receive Christ as your Savior a truth-driven decision or an emotion-driven decision? Seriously. Was it truth-based, fact-based, action-responding choice? It's kind of like, I choose to step in that, and I know what floor I'm going to. Or let me put it this way. Was it, I choose to step in this because I'm being told that I get to go to the candy store floor. And yet that's how the gospel is being presented a lot today. That if you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you'll have no problems. You'll be a millionaire. You'll have no health issues. I want that floor. And know this, that is not the gospel floor. I wish it was. But it's not. But it's not. When you stepped in, what floor did you think you were going to? I realize right now, you may be going, I cannot believe that he is asking me this. I cannot believe that somebody is standing up here and questioning my decision when I chose Christ as my Savior. Are you really doing that, Doug? I am. I straight up am. And here's why. Because of what Joshua does. Let's take a look at what Joshua does. You got the end of the picture? Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Listen to Joshua, the party pooper. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to slave unto the Lord. (laughs) Dude, what'd you give us the whole speech before then? I'm telling you, look at this. You are not able to slave unto the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Jealous, why would they bring that up? Because don't punk God. Because don't think that God's okay with you piddling around with other stuff and like half in on this. That's not what God's talking about. That's not the button that the Lord wants you to push. 
He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. I'd love to retranslate that. I can't. But there is a, 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 an if right after it. And we're not going to go into all this. But if you forsake the Lord and slave under, under foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. After having done all that good for you. I'm genuinely wondering if in Joshua's mind he's going back and into the times when, uh, in the Exodus, when the people of God with Moses said, we want to follow Yahweh. We give our full commitment. And two weeks later, they're bowing down to a golden cow that they made from their own stuff. I wonder if the people are going to get ticked right now. And the people said to Joshua, no, 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 no. We will slave unto the Lord. Friends, that's a really important statement for me right there. Because what that tells is they're there gathering the whole scenario of the situation on. And what's going on there is they're understanding that Joshua is pressing back into them. And they're not like, dude, you are so arrogant and rude. Who are you? They're, they're more like, no, 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 Joshua. No, let, let's, let us make us sure we're, we're clarifying for you that we get what we're talking about, Joshua. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will slave unto the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, that's fantastic. Everything's great from here on out. Come forward. No. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. This is freaky stuff, isn't it? I mean, talking about being pressed into. You are now witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to slave unto him. And they said, how dare you? No. And they, are said, and they said, we are witnesses to that. Hey, listen, this is warrior talk. This is manly talk. I mean, this is woman talk. And I mean that in a warrior-esque kind of a way. I, I mean, like, this, this is no piddly stuff. This is no give me cotton candy. This is like, we can talk this kind of a talk. We can deal with this kind of truth. And in a day and age where we live we're in, it's such a time, everything's politically correct. Don't push me. Don't question me. Don't wonder. And I don't know, maybe I'm offending you right now in all this, but I just want to tell you, I'm just trying to communicate what's happening here. And in all of this, it's the kind of thing of where they're like, no, we're good with that. We'll be witnesses to it. Yes, we drive the stake in the ground. We make the claim. We understand it's about being a slave unto the Lord. We're witnesses. We're in on this. Hey, would you turn, or actually don't turn there. I've got them up on the screen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Because uh, I want just for you to uh, hear these as I read. Because maybe you are like, dude, I cannot believe you're pushing me on this. Uh, let me just read some, a couple passages of what Jesus did and said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says this. You can see it on the screen. Now, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or I'm sorry, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should shake your boots. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, God, didn't we do all kinds of stuff in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Whoa. These people thought they were in the right place. But not from God's perspective. They were on a whole nother floor. And Jesus lovingly here at the end of the Sermon of the Mount is trying to grab their attention and help them shake them up a little bit. And listen, don't, don't play cotton candy with me. Luke 14. Jesus again. It says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me, anyone, by the way, I love that. If anyone, I mean, that means like, what, anyone? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. By the way, this is a comparative love. It's trying to get a picture of it. He's not saying go home and hate your wife. Okay, that's not what's going on here. But in comparison of understanding what love of the Lord is, if you don't understand that, look at the end of verse 26. He cannot be my disciple. He doesn't stop there. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock saying this man began to build and was not able to finish her. What, what king going out to the encounter to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 uh, to meet him who comes with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Was that the floor you were expecting to go to? And so I try and humbly and lovingly push you as I've been pushing me this week. What would the Father say about your commitment? Matthew chapter 7. What would the Father say about your doing unto the Lord? Luke 14. Would Jesus agree with your assessment that you're all in? One final. Jesus with Peter. Chapter 21 of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. I mean, you know that I love you. And he said to him, get after it and put it into action then. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, get after it, put it into action then. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, this is annoying. Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
I think we can all agree, is Jesus not pressing into him hard, full out? This is a full leaning on. Yeah, I love you. No. Do you love me? So I ask. Do you love Jesus? Do you, you, love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you? Do I? Joshua 23, I'm sorry, 24, verse 23. Joshua said, then put away the foreign gods. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart to the Lord. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will slave unto, and his voice we will obey. Way to go, guys. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you. That's just so interesting. Lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away. Every man, every woman to his inheritance. Um, I hope we're all feeling pressed into today. Um, so what do we do? A couple things. In fact, double a couple. Uh, four things. And it all centers around coming out of verse 23. Look at it. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. No foreign gods allowed. No foreign gods allowed. Now, let's practically. Here's how I'd say it. Name it and chuck it. Name it and chuck it. Hey, when Joshua's talking here and he's thinking about things, do you think he's just thinking like in fuzzy land? Like, I don't know. Maybe there's some stuff out there. I don't think we see that at all in the text here. I think there's specific things that Joshua's realizing. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, God's people back in this time, I'm telling you, there are foreign gods out among you. And with the light of what you just said, here's the deal. It's time to go home and do number one, name it. Name it. 
Don't be fuzzy land about it. Listen, we don't sin in general and we don't repent in general. The truth of the matter is we sin in specific and we're to repent in specific. And what oftentimes ends up happening is we're just like, I got to get better. Honestly, how do you do that? Name it. What foreign gods are in your life right now? I'm not asking if because Joshua didn't ask if. I am asking what are they? Name them. Are you thinking right now? Do. What is it? Name it and then chuck it. Uh, By the way, it's just not like name it and then put it in the closet. It's not name it and put it in the backyard. It's not name it, put it in your back pocket. It's not name it and like, you know, wait for the trash for another week for now. No, no, no. Name it and kill the blasted thing. Beat the living pulp out of it. I'm dead to this. Have a funeral. It's got to go. I realize no one's perfect and we will all struggle with sin. But you hear me what I'm talking about? We got to get after it is what Joshua is saying. Get after it, warriors. Name it and chuck it. And I think in the text, verse 23, he says, get away the foreign gods that are among you. And then he says, and incline your heart to the Lord. Incline. In the Hebrew, it has this idea of stretching of tipping, of leaning. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. I've been stretching and tipping and leaning towards this God. Now it's time to grab it and stretch it and tip it and lean it this way to this God, the God. That, That means work. That means specific steps of action. Tip it. Start tipping it right rather than left. You know, you drive up a road and it's a gravel road and you've been used to turning right all the time and right all the time and right all the time. What happens to that road? It starts getting grooves in it, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden you realize, like, I can't go there anymore. I've got to start going left. So what do you do? You come up to that point, man, you're just so used to the habit of going that way. And it's like, whoa, this isn't easy. I need a post-it note, a sign right there that says, don't enter here anymore. And then by the way, with the rut that's there, because I've been choosing that way again and again and again and again, when I want to now make a left guess what it's like (laughs) true got the illustration hey we're indiana okay and it's like whoa this is hard i'm gonna tell you change is hard but it's like i'm done with that i've got to stop it and it doesn't mean we're going to be taking lefts all the time all the time listen sometimes you're going to fail and you're going to hang a right guess what what do you do fear the lord get down on your knees repent of sin in specific lay before the Lord, get back in the car, and next time start going this way. And guess what starts happening over time as you make more and more and more laughs? What happens? The grooves start building that way. And actually over time, it becomes easier and easier because you're literally developing new habits of thinking and new habits of action. Listen, name it, chuck it, and incline it. Incline your heart to the Lord. And then the fourth thing, fourth thing, post it. This is interesting. 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. Well, that sounds like legalism. No, it's not. It's, hey, business people, it's a strategic plan. That's what it is. This isn't legalism. It's like if you're going to be serious about making that move, put a plan together. Write it down. And by the way, later on, it's like they engrave it on a stone and they post it. 
Like, put in public. State it up. You're kidding me. Like, someone might know. Yeah. Like, you sin? Why, are, why am I surprised? Why are you surprised? I got issues? Hey, sorry. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. I'm not saying get all drama about it. But maybe we need to do more of that. So here's the deal. In your bulletin, in your update, there's a card in there. Would you pull that out right now? Sarah and Rob are going to come and lead us in a closing song. And it's going to be just, they're going to be singing over us. And this is part of the end of the time here, okay? So don't pack your Bible up. Don't put everything away yet. I claim sermon time still. A little card there that says name it and chuck it. I, I, would, I, I want us to do something. Because friends, I don't like getting in your face. But I am today. Because the text is. And I don't want to just leave and like go home and just like, I don't know, do something. No, let's, let's do something. And I want to at least start with kind of a symbolic act here and something we can do together. So here's the deal. Uh, I want to just do the first two things, name it and chuck it. So while Sarah's singing and they're leading us in song and you're considering, look at this text. And I just want you to go before the Lord. God, what's one thing in my life? What's one foreign God in my life I got to get after? Greed, anger, porn, selfishness. Fear of man. What idol is in your life? And I want for you just to write in the card. Listen, don't be looking at the person on your left or your right. It's not what this time's about right now. This is a you and the Lord time. And I want for you to write it. And then after you write it, I want for you to take that little piece of paper and I want for you just to crinkle it all up. All right? So while they're singing, Sarah's okay if all of a sudden she's hearing some crinkling going on. Because it's time to name it and you're going to chuck it. Because on the way out of the auditorium today, in each of the corners, here and over here, there's a trash can there. And on your way out, you're just chucking it in the trash can. It just is something symbolic for us to get at it. All right? Sarah and Rob, would you lead us?